about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So... He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than those, sorry, greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Okay. Good morning from me. My name's Andrew Errington. I'm the senior minister here. Uh, And over the next three weeks, as we head towards Easter, it's my privilege to walk with you through uh, an extraordinary chapter in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13. Uh, This chapter is John's account of the events on the night on which Jesus was betrayed. In the other Gospels, Uh, We have here the account of the Last Supper, but John chooses to tell us about some other things that happened on that evening. The chapter revolves around three key figures. Uh, The first two are Jesus and Judas, who betrayed him. Uh, We'll get to really focusing on on Judas next week, uh, but we'll think about him a little uh, today as well. But alongside these two figures is also the figure of Peter, and with him the other disciples. 
And these three figures show us, I think, deep truths and important truths about God, about human nature, and about what it means to follow Jesus. So we're going to kind of pick up on those themes uh, each week. So I hope you'll be able to join in all three sermons. They're kind of a package. Um, and, uh, but for now, we'll just we'll dig into it, uh, this passage in chapter 13. So let me pray again as we think about the Scriptures. Lord, we thank you for this remarkable record of the night before Jesus was arrested and crucified. Would you be with us over these weeks as we read it and think about it? Would you speak to us and teach us and change us? For Jesus' sake, amen. One of the defining experiences of the last year, I think, was being confronted with how little we know, with a very uncertain future. The pandemic came and suddenly the future that had stood before us so solid and predictable vanished like a mirage. And in place of it came nothing, uncertainty. Suddenly we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how long it was going to go on for, if it was going to get worse before it got better. We didn't know if the economy would hold together. We didn't know if we would lose our jobs, our homes, maybe our parents. Many of us reacted by becoming ravenous for news. I don't know about you, but I was a little more glued to my phone last year, sadly. We're searching for signs and oracles trustworthy sources of information that would help us keep our bearings and give us a sense of what lay ahead. But of course, the news people didn't really know either. The news was sometimes the purest prediction and prophecy, just guesses at where things might or might not be headed. Perhaps things are a little different now. The future is starting to firm up a little, at least it seems so, with vaccines becoming available and things holding together and so on. But let's not overstate this. The future is still pretty uncertain, isn't it? We don't really know how things are going to pan out. We don't know whether fresh variants might wreak havoc on best laid plans. We don't know whether the the other side of what the other side of this will look like, whether it will be back to normal in any way, or when it will be, if ever. Painfully for many of us, we still don't know exactly how our work and our church life are going to be affected in the long term. We're all still, in all sorts of ways, living in the dark, aren't we? Well, knowledge and lack of knowledge are one of the central ideas in the passage we're looking at today, the first part of John chapter 13. In it, we're told very deliberately that Jesus knew certain things and that because of this, he acted. 
But Jesus also points out to Peter that there are things that he doesn't know. And then at the end, in verse 17, Jesus says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So I want us to look at this passage thinking about knowledge and see if we can learn something that will help us in a time where we're painfully aware of our lack of knowledge. So let's begin then by thinking about what Jesus knew. There's a sermon outline actually in the the handouts you were given along with the passage may help you follow along. First, we're going to think about what Jesus knew. Right at the beginning of the chapter, we're told that Jesus knew something. Verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then in the next couple of verses, we're told again what Jesus knew. From verse 2, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. What did Jesus know? Jesus knew that his hour had come, that now was his time to leave this world and go to the Father. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, or literally in his hands, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Friends, these are very big things to know, aren't they? He knew that Now was his time to leave and to go to the Father. He knew that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. And he knew that God had put all things in his hands. And now was the climactic time, the time of crisis, the hour. If we went back and read John's gospel from the start, we would see that all through Jesus has been speaking of this time, this hour that would come back in chapter 2. Uh, Verse 5, he says, my hour has not yet come. And then in chapter 7, he says again, my time is not yet here. But then in chapter 12, just before our passage, he suddenly says, the hour has come. Now is the time. We've reached the critical point, the point at which it it, it, it is time for this one, this one who has come from God and will return to God, who's got the whole world in his hands, the time for him finally to act, to do his thing. And what does he do? What does he do knowing that he has the whole world in his hands and that now is his moment when he will go to the Father? What does he do? Verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He serves. That's what he does. He does menial service, humble service. He does a task that was messy and demeaning. This story might be old news for you. You might have heard about this many times. Don't let it become unsurprising. 
Don't let its weirdness and shock wear off. This was a very undignified act, but Jesus did. But that is what he did, knowing all that he did about himself. And in fact, Jesus knew even more than that. We're told in verse 11 that there was something else Jesus knew. He knew who was going to betray him. Not only did Jesus know that the Father had placed all things in his hands and that now was the time for him to return to the Father, to be glorified beyond imagining, to be the first human being who went to God, into the heart of the presence of God. He also knew that he was about to be betrayed by Judas. He knew that one of his closest companions was going to treat him like trash, sell him for a little cash, hand him over like an animal. And he still washed their feet. He still washed Judas's feet. Well, Jesus' action doesn't make any sense at all to Peter. This is the second point, what Peter didn't know. It doesn't make sense to Peter, and so he resists it. From verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The word translated realize in verse 7 is again just the word for know. The same word that's used in verse 1, 3 and 11. I think it's a key word in the passage. Peter can't come at the idea of Jesus washing his feet in this demeaning way. And Jesus replies, you don't know what I'm doing. But later you will understand. This was a pretty common experience for the disciples, them not really knowing what Jesus was doing. If you think about the gospel stories, if you haven't read a gospel, just, just read one with this in mind and all, all sorts of things will stand out to you. But if you have read, read them or, or you do, what we see is very often the disciples are playing catch-up. Jesus was doing things and they didn't understand why. He was moving on and they were trying to keep up. Think about how many times the gospels are the, the disciples, sorry, in the gospels are perplexed, confused. How many times Jesus does things that don't make sense to them? Following him meant a lot of not knowing, a lot of taking things on trust, taking on, on trust that this guy knew what he was doing. It meant a lot of submitting themselves to his wisdom. Jesus says. Do you trust me? And they don't get to see everything that's coming. Not at all. They just get to see him and they have to make a decision. Do they trust him? You do not know what I'm doing, Jesus says to Peter, but later you will understand. It must have been very frustrating at times. They must have often felt that by now they had a right to know. Wouldn't you have felt that? If you'd left everything behind, family, life, your business, your house, 
He left them all behind and followed this man for three years. Wouldn't you feel like you deserve to be let, let in on things now? Especially if this was the crucial climactic moment. Wouldn't it have got to you after a while, this not knowing? I think it gets to Peter here. No, he says, you're not washing my feet. He takes a stand, and it's actually a pretty good stand. He refuses to let Jesus put himself below him without further explanation. This is too much. This is not what he signed up for. He loves this man, admires him, would do anything for him. At least he thinks he would. He's not going to let him pretend that he's an underling, a servant, a nothing. But Jesus won't let him off, and he won't give him an explanation. Unless I wash you, he answers, you have no part with me. Jesus will not compromise. Peter does not get to know what he's doing. Again, he has either to trust him or to leave him. Well, once it's like that, the choice is really easy for Peter. Verse 9, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. It was easy for Peter, even if it annoyed him. For the one thing he did know for certain was that he wanted to be with Jesus. And if Jesus was going to make it like this again, then he had no choice. He had to be content with not knowing. You know, I wonder though, if that was what was different between Peter and Judas. I wonder if Judas had had enough of not knowing, not understanding, enough of following Jesus on trust. I wonder if Judas in the end had simply run out of patience. I wonder if he had lost sight of who Jesus was and let his frustrations fester and become resentment. I wonder if he had gotten sick of being bewildered and frightened and out of control. Not knowing is wearisome. Being out of control is tiring and stressful. Was that the opening by which evil got a foothold in Judas's heart? Friends, let's be careful when in these times when we're painfully aware of how much we don't know. Let's be careful in these times when we're being asked quite often to go on in faith, to keep trusting God even though things seem pretty uncertain. Some of you have been doing this in all sorts of ways for many years, perhaps most of your life. And all of us will have moments like this. We've all come to feel it a little more now, I think, how much we don't know. Let us not become resentful of God or angry with Jesus. Let's not give up trusting him. Let us turn our eyes to who it is who calls us, who calls us to trust him even though we don't know everything now. And let us, like Peter, see that he is worth it. 
He's worth it. To be with him is worth everything. And if we have him, we can endure this discomfort here and now. We really can. Jesus will call us to uncomfortable things, things that don't feel right, times where we don't understand. That's just how it is with him. Happily, though, following Jesus is not just about not knowing things. It's not just about what we don't know. It's also, and much more importantly, about what we do know. It's the third point, what we do know. From verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example, said Jesus, that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He begins by asking them whether they understand. And I can imagine some of them around the table looking at each other a bit awkwardly, thinking, not really. But it's really just an invitation to listen because straight away he explains. He's washed their feet to set them an example so that they too will become foot-washing people. If Jesus is not excused from humble service, even though he is indeed superior... He really is their teacher and Lord. And so if he's not excused, then they're not excused either. No way. None of them can claim to be above this call to service, above giving of themselves in love for others. For servants are just not greater than their master, nor are messengers than the one who sends them. What does Jesus mean when he says, you also should wash one another's feet. What does he mean by that, though? Traditionally, many Christian churches have repeated this act, foot washing, quite literally at a special moment of the year, normally on Maundy Thursday. That is the Thursday before Good Friday. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, I've been vetoed already on this front uh, by the staff team, but more on that to come. We've got something quite good on. So. But, you know, some churches like this one have intended to do a foot-washing service uh, because they think that what Jesus was really interested in was not that we do a, a symbol at some special service, but that we all learn to serve one another in all sorts of ways in all parts of life. And people have sometimes worried that if we have a special moment, it can actually make Jesus' call to service more difficult. Because then it's almost like we just close our eyes and hold our noses and tick off the foot-washing box on one unpleasant evening of the year and then forget about it for the rest of the year. I think there's a lot of truth in this. Jesus was not merely talking about washing feet. His own act of service here was a symbol of what he was doing with his whole life and, above all, with his death. 
And just so, when he says we should wash each other's feet, he means this as a symbol of how we need to give ourselves sacrificially in service of one another. Being humble enough to take on even pretty unpleasant and demeaning services for the sake of others. But you know, I also don't think that necessarily means we shouldn't actually do this literally. In fact, I think doing it literally can help immensely just because it is so symbolic. A couple of years ago, uh, when we were allowed to touch each other, I went to a Maundy Thursday service at a local Anglican church in Canberra, and to my horror, they did foot washing. And when it came to the moment, the minister invited others to come forward and wash one another's feet. And in my naivety, I thought that most people would go up. As it happened, however, it was only me and one other lady. As I went, I also realized with dismay that I had some tinea on my left foot. That's a kind of fungus, if you don't know. We can talk about that afterwards. You know what, though? I found this act profoundly helpful. The experience of having to physically touch someone else's feet and letting someone touch my own, just the right foot, you'll be pleased to hear, of kneeling and washing, it takes time, very intimate. It wasn't some empty religious ritual for me. It was a profound and powerful reminder of what Jesus had done for me in all its rawness and roughness and dirtiness and of what he calls me to every day. If you know these things, says Jesus, you are blessed if you do them. Friends, we live in many ways in the dark there is much, much that we don't know. And it is frustrating and scary. It is unsettling and hard. Sometimes Jesus infuriates us, asking us just to trust him, to follow, to accept that we don't know. But we are not only in the dark. There is also much that we do know. There is light. This is what we know, brothers and sisters. Servants are not greater than their masters. And our master, knowing his glory and greatness, knowing all his splendor and power and importance, at the most significant moment in the history of the universe... The hour, his hour, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and began to wash his disciples' feet. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That is what we know. That is the true north by which we may navigate, the rock on which we may always stand, the light that will guide us in every darkness. 
Friends, do not grow weary in doing good, in trusting Jesus, in washing one another's feet. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.